Welcome to Classroom Success 101 Podcast Show. I'm your host, Josh Roos, the Hardcore Behaviorist, and I'm here to help you overcome those problems you're experiencing every day. You're listening to a master audio class, so put your positive thinking caps on and get ready for another lesson on how to achieve greatness within your classroom. For show notes, make sure you check out our website at hardcorebehaviors.com forward slash podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube at Hardcore Behaviors. Also, make sure you check out our Hardcore Behaviors Teacher Pay Teacher Store for our helpful digital downloads. And join our Facebook group, Educators United, to help education continue to thrive during these tough times we are facing when schools are closed throughout the country due to the coronavirus. By joining Educators United, we encourage you to upload free online educational resources to help educate our students from a distance. Welcome to another episode of Classroom Success 101. Today, we got a very special guest, Scott Harris. And he is going to be talking to us today about the urban legends in education. Scott, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, Definitely like um, the topic that you're wanting to talk about. Um, Go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience and uh, give us a little background of, you know, where you're at in education and and, uh, what, what your backstory is. My name is Scott Harris. I've been teaching for 29 years. I am currently teaching philosophy, AP psychology, and AP macroeconomics, but I have also taught uh, U.S. and world history, a course called Theory of Knowledge, which is basically an epistemology course, uh, the branch of philosophy that deals with how we know what we know, truth and validity claims, things like that. And uh, many moons ago, I also coached swimming and water polo. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, I used to coach as well. Um, so, you know, that, that whole coaching world is a totally different world and it's a lot of fun, um, for all you coaches out there, you know, I, I'm, you know, those kids are grateful for what you do for them. Um, but today you're talking about urban legends in education. Um, what is that all about? You know, um, you know, when we're talking about urban legends, you know, that, that really is an eye-catching um, statement there. So um, what are some things that you're talking about when you're talking urban legends? Well, if you stay in teaching long enough, you will certainly um, get trained on these things. Um, and they turn out to not be true. So there's a lot of things people think, a lot of pop psychology, that we only use 10% of our brain. And if you ask kids about this or parents, you know, they're, oh, yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that. Um, It's, of course, not true. We know this from doing brain scans, fMRIs and such, uh, and can see that the entire brain is active when we think and do things. But I ask kids, why do you think that that urban legend is so popular? And, of course, they say, well, because then we have all this untapped potential. And that's uh, that's an appealing idea to anybody that I really could be a genius or smarter. Uh, I'm just not using my whole brain. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that, too. It's like, you know, you start questioning. It's like, what are we? 
people tell you you're only using like 5% of your brain, you're like, well, <laughs> I use the other 95% of it. Yeah. And back in the 90s, we got a lot of training on left brain, right brain. Um, and cognitive psychologists don't even like the term left brain, right brain, because the two hemispheres are connected by an arched bridge of nerves called the corpus callosum. So they're in constant communication with each other. And even when you are doing something like art, which we think of as a, as a right hemisphere activity, your left hemisphere is still engaged. So yeah. I've heard art teachers say, you know, in my class, we're going to unlock the right hemisphere as if it's been shut down uh, all day long. And, and they say, we're going to, you know, address the other half of the brain that your other classes neglect. And it's just not true. Yeah, yeah. So um, <clears throat> what, are, what are things that you think teachers need to start, you know, saying when it comes to those, those type of things that they're telling their kids? What they say, what? Well, um, what are you? What are you? Um, what are some things that you think um, start that that basically need to kind of change when it comes to uh, that type of stuff in the education world? Well, one is to start doing your own research, and there's there's kind of two trends in education. One is what I call the education industry, and these are the people that you know sell you the programs and they come and do the training and sometimes they're very good and supported with empirical research but sometimes they're not yeah back back in the 90s we got a lot of that left brain right brain training and they were showing data like most teachers are left brain but most students today are right brain and so we're not teaching the way that they learn and I, yeah. I remember sitting there thinking, you're telling me there's been this evolutionary change in one generation, right? And all of a sudden, everybody's right-brained and not left-brained. And again, yeah. when you look at what cognitive psychologists say, they don't, they don't really believe in this, you know, hemisphere dominance. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, basically, I, I know there's even going through some of the trainings that I've gone through. Um, I mean, a lot of it is, it's a sales tactic. I mean, I, I totally understand when, when you're sitting in trainings and uh, it's, it's packaged in a pretty little, um, uh -huh. you know, box and it's sold to, you know, uh, either administrators who buy into these programs and, you know, a lot of times it's like everything looks good up front, but when you actually put it into, um, you know, real life situations, some of the times it just does not work. And, um, and the sell job is always made on the basis of a moral panic that mm -hmm. all of a sudden we're not teaching how kids learn. And so we've got to radically change what we're doing. But notice that the gains never come. They, they all promise that, you know, when we make this connection, then we're going to see these huge gains academically or emotionally, and nothing really changes. Kids are still kids. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and, and that's the promises that are, are out there. And, you know, what are some things that you think that, you know, schools can do a better job of preventing some of that? Well, one, again, teachers can do their own research. There's quite a bit of research out there in the field of cognitive psychology about how the brain works and about how we actually learn. Um, mm -hmm. We're on the second round right now of social emotional learning. 
Um, my district, that's the big thing this year, and everybody's acting like this is a new discovery, but we went through this round one was back in the 90s. And again, yeah. they promised that we were, you know, you install these programs and then you're going to get these big gains. And I, yeah. I really think that those things are achieved. It's like the character programs. That was the big thing in the 2000s for elementary schools was, you know, the seven pillars of character. And you put these posters up around the school and, you know, you talk about them. And character is really a byproduct of how you run your school uh, mm -hmm. and how you run your classroom. So you don't need a poster of it per se. No, and, I, and I've seen that in schools as well. Um, and it's not the character one, but it's there's a lot of leadership programs out there that, you know, it's like they put their poster up. Um, they, they provide some kind of book. And, you know, all of a sudden we all think that these kids are going to be leaders. And it's like we still don't see the results that we're looking for um within those programs and and you know I, I think a lot of it is is like you know i think part of it is to to kind of brag about hey look at us we're a, a leader school or we're a, a character school um come look at look at how great our school is but in reality it's i, I mean go work in that school and you just doesn't you don't see it you know yeah now, again, I think it's 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 a byproduct of how the school is run. Um, mm -hmm. and, and it's not just. A lot of the research on on character and leadership in schools, um, it's almost if you have a program, you're not doing it right. In other words, mm -hmm. it shouldn't really be identifiable that, oh, this is what we do to build character. It's a network yeah. effect of the way the administration takes the rules seriously, the expectations that teachers have, et cetera. So it's a lot more complex, but of course you can't sell that as a, a four hour in service. No. And, it, <laughs> and, and that's why it's like, you know, there's a, there's one program. I mean, it's, it's PBIS and it, it's really not, there's nothing to be sold on it that they're not, I mean, you know, it's a, I guess let's take that back. There is a buy-in to be sold of what the theories are and, 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 you know, things that you need to do as a school, but there's not a pretty little package. It doesn't, nobody's up there selling this to um, the schools of here's a poster. I mean, this is all things that they have to do to create this stuff. Right. Um, and I think it, you know, it, it's, it, it goes into some of these programs over the years that I've seen that, it's, you know, I've been in, in um, some trainings with actual professors in them, and they question, you know, well, you know, especially on some of the data um, collection pieces, it's like, why are you taking data like that? I mean, you know, there's a better way to do it. Um, so I think it's, I think schools, they need to be really uh, precise on what they're actually buying into. Yeah, and... They they ought to ask for the research. They should want to see yeah. the research. We we have had good training where it was research based and so on. But um, learning styles, we were sold that for a long time. That some kids learn better. They're visual learners or uh, auditory learners, etc. Uh, again, we use all parts of the brain, so we all learn visually. We all learn auditorily. 
but there is literally no research supporting learning styles. And it's kind of the running joke for AP psychology teachers uh, nationwide yeah. on the Facebook page is that we all get asked by our schools to teach a seminar on learning styles. And we all say the same thing. Only if I only if uh, I'll teach it only if I can teach that it's a myth. And yeah. it really yeah. stemmed from one um, study that was very badly done. And it really just kind of took on a life of its own. And, you know, kids even getting to the point where they say, well, I can't learn that way. I'm a visual learner. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And it, I still think that, I mean, it's still like that's big still within the classroom is like, how are you differentiating right. your different learning styles? And it's like, oh, I mean, uh, you know, so so you're saying this is this is a, a big myth within um you know, the research-based world. So, And, and in fact, uh, they've done studies in which they uh, presented and tested people in their claimed preferred style and people's preferred style, they tend to do slightly worse than. Uh, really? uh, so it's not what the kid wants per se, it's what the lesson, what's the best way to deliver that particular lesson. And so obviously... Yeah. That's going to lend itself. And, you know, as you said, the differentiation, you have 34 kids in a class. You're supposed to differentiate for all of them. And, yeah. you know, some kid says, well, I'm a kinesthetic learner and I'm trying to teach you the Meat Inspection Act of 1906 in U.S. history. Yeah. Well, I don't know how to do that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that totally makes sense. It's it's, uh, it's um, you know, there, there's so many kids within the classroom. It's like, you know, you're you, you're uh, basically trying to make this lesson touch, um, you know, differentiate from all the learning styles. I mean, you know, one thing that it's like you go to, into college and they're not teaching to everybody's learning style. I mean, it's, you know, there's a. Yeah, nor is your boss. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like, well, um, you know that's the thing it's like on the job training or 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 you're expected to do this within the job well it's going to be a different learning style but i mean that totally makes sense so what what are what are some things that you can tell the teachers that you know in your your uh what you're thinking or what the research out there states um to you know make that change well, against all. one thing they can do, there's a great website called learningscientists.org. Okay. And they have, you. and there's even little handouts you can print from their website. Um, six strategies for effective learning is the one I'm looking at now. Um, a lot oh, of the yeah. ways that kids study are ineffective. And if you talk to your students and ask them, when did you learn how to study? They don't know. Right. And we've never really yeah. taught it as a specific behavior. So, for instance, college students, when asked, um, say that rereading their notes and highlighting are their two most preferred methods of study. They're also two of the least effective methods out there, according to controlled studies. Highlighting does yeah. next to nothing as far as how your brain engages with the material. And rereading your notes is popular because it feels good. Um, what yeah. you're doing is you're recognizing that you've seen that before and that feels good and you feel like you know it. So these kids do a lot of rereading the notes and then they go in and they don't score well. Um, one mm -hmm. of the most effective things is called retrieval practice. And that's what we do when we do flashcards. 
Um, and they don't like studying this way because they say, you know, I feel dumb when I like I don't know these flashcards. That's the point. Yeah. That you have to yeah, yeah. drag it up from memory and you only remembered part of it the first time and so on. That's what's actually building the memory hooks to make it work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's the thing. When I went through school, nobody ever taught us any kind of study skills. I don't even think study skills are being taught now. I mean, it's it's one of those things that they, they'll tell these kids where they have a quiz or a test. Um, Friday, but I don't think anybody's really teaching studying skills that I know of that I I know working in the districts that I've been in, I have not seen. Um, but when you're talking about studying note cards, I mean, that's that's all I did in college. I mean, that's how I studied. So, and I mean, if you look at a college classroom, you will see every student on a computer. And this is not good. <laughs> um, setting aside the obvious distractions of the Internet. Um, but students yeah. who take notes uh, typing on a computer score less well on both the conceptual things and on the details than students who take notes by yeah. hand. Yeah. And, and you, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to totally agree with that because um, I know I, I, I don't even, like I do um, some, you know, I go to like some seminars and growth mindset stuff outside of right. school. Um, from my, you know, my own personal development. And they talk about that all the time. You know, you need to be writing notes. You need to take the, write this stuff down. It's not type it out. It's write it down. Yeah, there's quite so, a few studies on this now. And a lot of college professors are starting to ban uh, laptops from the classroom uh, for that reason. So it's, it's the synthesizing and the integrating that you have to do when you take notes by hand that's forming the memory hooks. When you type, you can pretty much keep up with what the person is saying and your brain actually works less hard. So it's that you Mm -hmm. can't keep up when writing by hand that forces you to think about it and synthesize. Yeah, yeah. Now that makes total sense. I like where that's coming from. I mean, I definitely, um, you know, there's something that I think, you know, schools are not really doing out there. They're not doing a good job of, doing those things i know um i know the district that i'm currently in everybody at the high school level has a laptop um and you know i don't really know how much learning actually goes on with that right i mean i think you know it's these kids nowadays are in a world where they can just google or youtube something and you know it's it's there they're not really having to memorize or, or actually know it you know. you know, and that was another moral panic back in the in the 90s. I remember, you know, we were hearing that kids in Japan were using computers in kindergarten. And of course, ours weren't. And, and what were we going to do and how were they going to catch up in a tech world? Um, and, yeah. you know, the phrase that all administrators love to use, using technology in the delivery of instruction as if it's some yeah. magic thing that if it happens with a plug uh, that it's going to be better. And again, the research doesn't hold. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's definitely, um, some interesting facts there. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I think teachers are always constantly struggling. I mean, we, it seems like there's something new that comes out all the time. Well, you know, your kid, the, the reason why your kids ain't learning is because you don't, you're not teaching like this or you're not teaching like that. And, and we're we're starting to move away from actual ways that, in my opinion, 
I feel like those are, you know, if the, you're saying the research out there. I mean, what you're stating to me is all the ways that I've been um, taught to to study, and and that's how I learn, and I still learn that way, you know. And I, I don't, I I've always hated typing notes on the computer. Mm-hmm. Everything to me is I feel like if I write it out, um, you know, I, I catch on more, and um, you know. Uh, it's one of those things. What What do you What's your thoughts on some of this note taking assistance out there? That uh, you know, they they have kids do a lot of note taking assistance where we type out everything and they just kind of fill in. Yeah, it's bad. Uh, there's again now if someone has a cognitive disability and they're getting note taking assistance for that, that's understandable. But um, they have yeah. done even lecture outlines. Um, students who were given those compared to students who are not, and then post-tested on who remembered more. Um, it, yeah. it's, it, it really is allowing their brain to do less work, and it's the work of thinking, synthesizing, and so on that, that makes it stick. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, those, are, those are some awesome um, points that you're making today. Um, what else are you uh, looking at that some things that you feel are, are totally different um, than what the research? Well, um, one thing just to finish on with uh, with teaching students to study is so many of them study for the test only the night before. And yeah. Yeah. this is not a perfect analogy, but it's it's good enough that um, a sponge will absorb water. And then once it's wet, it's not going to absorb anymore. And so the brain is a, a bit like that in that studying for four hours for one test, you're really not going to gain past uh, that first probably two hours. Um, what's better, of course, is to spread that studying out over time. So what I tell them is study less more often, right? Mm, that makes total yeah. sense. I mean, and now we're doing that retrieval practice again because we're dragging it back up from memory, right? Given some time to go by. Um, also, something called interleaving, which is mixing up your topics. Most of us study, we do all the history first, then we do the math homework and so on. And you actually get bigger gains when you switch uh, between subjects. So, yeah, really? which that blew my mind because I'd never really heard of that and who would think to study that way but yeah read your history chapter then do a math worksheet then and so switching up more often um gets more gains long term that makes total sense i mean it's so it it also gives you kind of break from the other it does you know you can focus on the the next one um i mean those are some great tips do you (laughs) I mean, I'm learning a lot from what you're you're talking about. I mean, it's it, it it makes sense because it's it's things that I feel like, you know, we were forced to do in school. But I mean, it's like everything's kind of going away from that in some stance because of technology. Um, but I, I definitely like um, your talk on these study skills because I I feel again I feel like we don't really teach these things. I mean, that, that I know of that's been going on. Um, and it's, it's, uh, you know, some of those, those old school methods of studying, um, you know, I, I think kids, you know, you start pulling out note cards. It's like, well, 
I mean, that's that's trying to that's how right. And I teach mine to take Cornell notes and Cornell notes. You can buy the paper. It has a line about a third of the way over. And so you write names and terms, et cetera, and then definitions and explanations to the right of it. And this does three things at once. It organizes your notes because you can instantly, just by looking down that left-hand column, find things in your notes. So you're saving time in the long run. Mm -hmm. The second thing is you've built flashcards, right? Because of that line, you can cover it with paper and you now don't have to spend all the time making those flashcards. And you can just cover the left or right side and quiz yourself that way. And of course, if you do this every day, you've got a review guide then going into the test. So you've kind of killed three birds mm-hmm. with one stone. Yeah. And and also when you write out those note cards, I mean, you know, you're actually writing it down again. Right, right. So, um, I mean, that's, that's one thing that um, has always helped me out, you know, and it's, it's trying to, get it and write it down even when i read a book for knowledge it's like trying to go in there um you know i i do highlight but i i I would agree the highlighting does nothing the only thing the highlight thing does for me is knowing the fact that that's an important state important statement right there that i need to write down well and i i tell my students throw out your highlighters and use a pen and write in write in your books and underline box star So this is called dual coding in which you're engaging, right? You're not just highlighting, but you're writing things in the margins. You're arguing with the author. Um, And anytime you can draw little pictures, even little stick figures or whatever that are helping you think about that idea more, this has a a beneficial effect. Mm -hmm. Okay. And and I've seen that in some of the classes um, with my kids where – it's like they got a, or let, let's look on this as um, they got to, they get a definition or a word. They, they, what, what is the definition? They look it up the definition, they write it, and then they have to come up with a sentence using right. the definition. And then they have to write or draw a picture using that definition. Right, right. And so, that's engaging with it in, in multiple ways. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, I've seen that. Um, a lot I know with um, eighth grade students they do that and a lot in history um, and some of the stuff in English um, but I mean you know again it's it's because I, I, I know I had like for me I have to uh, make sure one student is um, you know making sure that they're doing everything and and he he's getting his work completed and things like that he has like study hall with me um, but again, it's, I don't, there's no method that I've ever been taught to teach these kids how to study. Um, and again, I don't think teachers are really teaching their kids how to. No, we, we've just study. all done what um, we've been, you know, we weren't taught either. You just kind of stumble into what works. But again, there's a whole uh, body of research out there on what does work. Um you know, another idea we were sold back in the 2000s was multiple intelligences. Um, and this was developed mm-hmm. by Howard Gardner, who's at Harvard University. Um, but he's in the education department, not the psychology department. And the knock on his work is that it's not um, 
you know, empirically valid. Uh, and, and so multiple intelligence is the, is the idea that schools have uh, too often focused on the verbal and the math, right? That if you're good at those two things, then that's mm -hmm. what makes a good student. And I think that's a, a fair enough uh, criticism. Um, but then he lays out all of these other intelligences as he calls them musical intelligence, logical intelligence, and so on. Um, and teachers really love this theory because kind of now, right, I, we know you're smart. We just have to find one of these things that you're good at. And that's not really what an intelligence yeah. is. Those are more talents. Um, mm -hmm. But again, so we've wasted, yeah. whether it's multiple intelligences or learning styles, we waste a tremendous amount of time and money on things that are softly mm -hmm. supported at best. Yeah, I, I I agree. I mean, it's like we're always trying to find some new new way or new method of doing something, and it's it's like if we're not doing the new, then you know we're right. outdated. <laughs> so, um, but um, I definitely um, you know appreciate you coming on talking about the study methods. Um, you know, is there any other things out there that teachers need to know about uh, how to teach their kids how to study that uh, you haven't talked well, about? Well, that learningscientist.org is a great starting place. And then there's also good stuff on YouTube. Um, trying to think of that professor's name, but he kind of reviews all of the, the research in psychology about how the brain works in regards to studying. So if you just look around on YouTube a little okay. bit, it's not hard to come up with. Gotcha. No, I mean, these are these are some great tips that you've helped me um, understand a lot better that I know I can uh, bring to my students um, and go from there because it's it is. I mean, again, I, I don't know. I mean, I could be wrong, but I, I just I just know I feel like we just don't we just don't talk a whole lot about how to study. You know, they, they assign tests, but. It's like you ask a kid, how do you study? And probably 90% of them are going to be like, I don't know. And you I know, think we, uh, at most high schools, there's just too many assignments. I mean, you look at how many assignments mm -hmm. a kid has to do in a week um, and how many grades yeah. teachers are taking. And part of that is because they're using grades as behavioral control, right? That if, if you keep them busy, yeah. then we don't yeah. have to manage them. Um, and you know, that we ought to look into that. Like, what's the optimal number of grades? And these are conversations, as you said, that we don't really have as teachers that, that we should talk more about. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like I know in our school, I believe it's like 12 grades per grading period. And it's like, why 12? You know, what, is, it, yeah. is that too much? Is that, you know, nobody really well, and it. districts will often have a minimum number, but they don't have a maximum number. And there ought to be. Yeah. And, yeah. And then, I mean, you, you, you start some grades are not as strong as the others. I mean, it's like, okay, well, now what do we, I mean, now what we're saying is, in my opinion, what we're saying is, well, this doesn't count as much as a test score. And it's like, well, real life is that, I mean, you, you got to do things in real life. And, and they, percent, yeah, they you know? start, the kids will start gaming the system in that, they um they know that they have 34 grades in a class and so they can blow off a couple 
because it's not going to do much damage. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. I mean, it's just kids are smart. They start looking at playing the system. And, um, you know, I, I think this is definitely uh, an area that I feel like we need to start looking at more closely and trying to put uh, a better plan of a, uh, of what we're going to do to to be able to, you know, teach these kids the study skills and, you know, what they need to be doing to get those grades. So, uh, Scott, I really appreciate you coming on today and, and talking to us about um, learning styles and uh, you know, My pleasure. Skills. If you know someone who needs to hear this, share it with them, send them a text message, a DM, an email, put it on all your social media platforms, and tag me at Hardcore Behaviors. Also, keep the five star reviews coming over on iTunes. It helps teachers find the show so they get an opportunity to make the decision to grow as well.